0: Ladies and gentlemen, guess what? I got a beautiful podcast for everyone today. Hope the sun is shining, hope the birds are singing, hope the wind is at your back. I hope that you are ready for some contagious ideas that are meaningful. I've got the one and only Eric Postow. It is my pleasure to introduce him as a legal luminary and the managing partner of Holon Law Partners. Renowned as the top operational planning voice in his field, Eric's expertise extends across regulated industries, First Amendment religious freedoms, and the dynamic hemp beverage industry. A graduate of the University of Richmond School of Law, law, law. hailing from Annandale, Virginia, Eric stands at the forefront of representing clients in the ever-evolving landscapes of regulated cannabis and hemp beverage markets. His legal acumen extends beyond conventional boundaries as he passionately advocates for religious freedoms within intentional communities, navigating the delicate intersection of spirituality and the commercialization of psychedelics and natural plant medicines. Eric, thank you for being here today. How are you? That was the most amazing introduction I think anyone's ever done for me in, in my
1: life. Can you just show up and like, I walk into a place <laughs> and then you announce
0: it like that. And everyone's gonna turn around, who the hell is this guy? They just stand up and start clapping. Yeah, Eric, Eric. What did you do? <laughs> Nothing.
1: Okay. <laughs> Great.
0: <laughs> Woo. Okay. High expectations, wow. man. Yeah,
1: man. It is cool to be with you. I appreciate that. Uh, I hope I can live up to such a, sounds
0: like I'm doing a lot of cool stuff when you put it like that. Well, I talked to you before you and I've had a, had a, had a conversation before and we see each other on LinkedIn and I think you are doing cool stuff. And. More than cool, I think one way to define cool, at least in my life, is meaningful. And I think it's very cool when you meet people that are doing things they're passionate about and meaningful. And I'll just hand it off to you with that. Yeah, you know, that's exactly
1: <laughs> exactly right. I mean, uh, if I'm doing anything in my life, I'm I'm living a very intentional life, uh, and because I'm very intentional, I find myself doing the things that matter most and they are meaningful. So I'm meaning making in the world because I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing, which is to do things that are meaningful, to be at the the epicenter of, of stuff going on where we have to think collectively, our global consciousness has to become aware of something so that we can see things for the way they are and make choices, right? To become more intentional globally i am being more intentional locally i suppose is the uh the best way to describe that and because i'm being intentional i get to work with amazing people and collaborate with terrific lawyers and non-lawyers and think about issues at a really deep level uh like you know what does medicine mean anymore uh and mm-hmm. examining how the changing landscape uh, because of our newfound Western awareness of psychedelics and plant medicines is evolving and, and what that might look like and what might be necessary for some containers and safety and integration and things like that uh, from a holistic legal perspective. So meaning meaningful work is uh, certainly what I get to do, and I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yeah, you should be. I I think we both share a passion for language on some level. And it's interesting to think about the world is made of language. And especially someone in your field who's a lawyer. Like right now, you're you're just design you're you are, you are deep in the tapestry that's that's weaving together these ideas of spirituality and law. maybe you could speak to that a little bit, like the the language that's going on right now and the ever changing language, your passion with language mm-hmm.
1: and, and yeah. what you're doing with it. I love language. I love words. And I also, you know, have a, a, a great appreciation for the limitation of words. And oh, I think that you know, as as I grow, learn, evolve, I start to see how limited uh, we can be as a as a community, as a society by the words that we're choosing to frame around us. As a lawyer, this is clear in our laws, what we say the laws are, the words that we define, we exclude things, we include things, all by the usage of of words and terms. And this can be extended more broadly uh, to religiosity and spirituality, you know, uh, a great word, ineffable <laughs> word that means, you know, I can't tell you what it means, right? It means, <laughs> it means beyond, beyond. It means it's something that can't be explained, can't be put into words, and if I try to put it into words, then I'm going to limit it in such a way that it can't be limited, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if I if I understand that from the spirit mind perspective, uh, that I want to transcend the limitation of words to connect to source, right? To connect to something beyond beyond something here, something present, nature, something that's alive and with me, and 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 all of these things then I have to look beyond what the limitations of words are. And in my practice, I'm working on legal issues that require seeing beyond the limitation of words uh, and and, and, and try to help ourselves catch up because legal frameworks are important. Laws are important. Regulations are important. Safety of the community is important and uh we have to have that level of thinking so that we can help inspire what the laws ought to be and what they could be and then beyond that to help our you know community evolve with you know
0: necessary changes
1: which can be scary
0: (laughs) but sure Sure, and and why wouldn't it be scary when you're talking about uncertainty or the unknown, even spirituality? like these are scary topics because we don't know. We have ideas, we have faith, we we have the ineffable. but they are scary, right? People are afraid of what change will do.
1: Yeah, that's that is always the case. you know, change uh, for a, a country, you know in politics, look how look how much trauma, we are going through right now in our country in the united states we are a traumatized nation and uh that trauma is manifesting in you know uh, violence in communication and violence in action and other things and you know i think that um i I think we got to find people that are sherpas and guides to to get through this this stuff this phase this time and to bring into the 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 newness you know things that are healthy things that are healing things that are uh bringing people back together um connecting folks at that heart chakra you know Mm -hmm. getting getting back to the, the the source of humanity um and the things that 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 make humanity special and good and to be in better relationship and community with, you know, nature and not just trying to oppress everything around us at all times. And I don't win if if you don't lose that kind of my mindset. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, I'm hopeful for is that we can get to get through this dying era and into a new era. So I work at, areas of the law that i think are are helpful in shaping that 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 and oriented around friction
0: i love it it's it's interesting to hear you use ideas like a sherpa a sherpa and a guide and you know it it definitely seems like almost like we need a death doula like part of us seems to be dying and we have maybe maybe that's what you're doing on some level maybe you're like a this death doula that's helping these old ideas, you know, be fertilizer for the new ideas that come out of it. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, I think, I mean, if you think about the name of our law firm, Holon, uh, it's, it's a, you know, a term that, you know, has Greek origins, but it, it's, it's been articulated uh, well um, with some recent academic folks. And essentially, you know, the Holon view is that we are in this ever- transcending state of hierarchical you know relationship that there is the whole on of you in relation to the whole on of me and that together we're making the whole on of true life podcast and then we're extending out right we're transcending and including um uh, and 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 we're going all the way out until like global society and, and 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 international relationships and all these different types of things and then also relationship to you know plant life and animal life and ecosystems and things like that um, you know, for sure and and so we try to take that concept and put it into practical legal application You know, we see things as a series of interconnections and relationships and because of that we see community where we work with our clients and in the broader space and we find connectivity between those things uh, to help uh, achieve Important societal goals.
0: The human mycelium.
1: Yeah, that's right. In a <laughs> lot of ways, you know, right? I think I, I I spend a lot of time thinking and learning about intelligence. Uh, reading a fantastic book right now by um, uh, Paco Calvo, um, who is a professor at Mint M I N T and the. What they do is they're studying for intelligence in plants Mm. that is akin to human intelligence, the intelligence that is uh, decision making, that is orienting, that is remembering, that's anticipatory, uh, predictive. We understand better now than we have in a long time uh, how mycelium works, the fungi network, it's communication mycelium kind of spreads and uh you know has these uh ways of communicating with the nature around it with trees and with uh plants and things like that they create symbiotic relationship they feed they eat they decay they're part of that system it's how we've we've evolved like this plants are similar uh at least that's what you know some of the research coming out of mint and other places is looking uh looking at and I want to learn from that intelligence. Yeah. I, I think there's value in, in that intelligence. And even if there's a debate over whether or not that's true intelligence or it's some sort of adaptive thing, it's irrelevant. If they're building network underground in the plant world and the fungi world, and those networks are doing things and they're working together, they're collaborating and they're mutually supporting, and they're coexisting and co-thriving and co-creating, well then. We can learn from that, and we can build models that also includes our connectivity and the way we do relationship. yeah, and we can go and be supportive as a community network, a web of relationships, and show up for people and show up for communities that need it. You know that's all of my silly reallocation of resources. it's uh, the way the brain works also. It's no coincidence that the brain, and the neurons and that and that system in the brain of processing looks an awful lot like the um, root systems of fungi and um, yeah. um, plants and things like that. We all come from the same place. So we've evolved. That's where ours is. And it's no coincidence that that's what the galaxies look like. When you look at uh, the pictures coming through the, the, the new uh, telescope out there, oh, my God, it'll blow your mind. But what you see is those relationships, those large-scale network things that are occurring that look a lot like brain cells, look a lot like the mycelium networks, you know. Coincidence, I don't know, but interesting and worth learning from, you know, worth integrating that kind of wisdom and knowledge and 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 seeing. Uh, equality, seeing an equal in plants rather than uh, a subspecies that humans tend to do. We would categorize and then subcategorize and subcategorize. Right. So I think uh, our minds can be enlightened with the knowledge coming out of some of this research. And because of that, I think that we can integrate that into practice in different ways business community uh illegal any anything
0: um i'm rambling but no it's good it's perfect it it reminds me like i i often feel and in i want to read this book too but i was sitting outside my my patio a while back and i was just i had taken like a, a medium like a like a museum dose and i was just sitting out there and I was watching this vine that had climbed up halfway up this palm tree, and it climbed halfway up, and then some. I thought to myself, like, wow, what an amazing adventure this thing is on. And I noticed, like, how does it know to, to <sighs> sprout a flower at a 47-degree angle towards the sun on August 7th at 3.33 p.m., three-quarters of the way up that tree? Like, that's intelligence. Like, that's faith. Yes. You know, you're, like, you're diving I mean, right I into gave what gave the, the book about. Yeah, that, like how can it not that, get that's 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 what what the from, right? is.
1: They've observed this thing, and there is something to it. Yes, it's remembering, and it's planning, and it's doing things intentionally. Yes, to survive and to, you know, get better, to grow, to you know, thrive, have offspring. Whatever it's doing, it's not yeah. doing it just because it's reacting. Right. It's doing it because it knows that that's what it has to do and it's planning and organizing. And there's there's interesting things from the book where they reorient the plant, and then after a day, it finds its way back to finding where the sun is and being exactly where it's supposed to be yeah. so that it can maximize getting the sunlight in for the photosynthesis process. You know, yes, it's part of evolution, but it's also an intelligence that's doing that, that knows to do that, that type of thing. And they've got some interesting narrative around, you know, sprouts and bean things and yep. it's climbing up you know i'm not a plantologist so obviously i sound ignorant when i talk about these things but it my, i can i can take from it the the wisdom of that yeah that the 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 plants aren't climbing towards the light just because it's an adaptive thing they're climbing because they're geared towards intelligence towards this they that's thinking about it and planning and then using some kind of a calculus, like there are plants that have like a lassoing kind of effect. Yeah. And they lasso on to, to something so that it can climb. You know, we got these climbing vines, but did anyone ever think about why they do that? You know, and how and what's the mechanism underneath that's, that's, that's potentially an intelligence there. Uh, And why should we be so arrogant as to think that it couldn't be an intelligence? That's the other thing that gets you thinking.
0: Yeah, I think we are. We're children. And the world is desperately trying to communicate with us to reveal the answers to us. Like here, look, this is community. Look at all of these. You can go outside your yard and look down and find an ecosystem. It yeah. may have like a dandelion, like a certain type of tree and some grass. Like that's a that's an ecosystem right there. It's teaching you community if you know what to look for. Absolutely, nature does it communicates with us all the time. We just don't
1: we don't listen. We're not tuned in. Right, right. You know? And I don't think that you have to have psychedelics or plant medicines to do that. I think that you no, can do yeah, that in yeah. your everyday life just by, you know, slowing down, being intentional, being aware, being observant, seeing, really seeing something. And, and, and like taking what's happening and, and integrating into yourself and saying, well, what does it mean? Yeah. What's the meaning of this thing? You know, they people like to go stargazing and they like to yeah. go like the nature walks and all this stuff, you know, it, there's, there's learning right there because all it's doing is being truth. That it, It's, it's just truth happening in whatever degree. and, the learning, the teaching is whether or not you can capture that, yeah. that happening, that essence, and say, oh, shit, there's something happening here. Yeah. And then what? Then your brain, your human brain starts doing things with it and making sense out of it. And it's in that where I think potentially we've got a lot of um, ability to transcend where we're currently at, which we need to. We need to get to a place of, of elevated awareness so that we can see the choices anew, a fresh lens, if you would, yeah. same facts, just a slightly different perspective so that we might make different choices. What choices? Choices like whether or not you understand that, that nature is alive and that it feels and that it's a part of you and that if you kill it, you're killing yourself. Yeah. And that right now we're committing slow suicide and we should probably stop, you know?
0: Yeah, I do. <laughs>
1: It's, it's, it's and this isn't like a wackadoo thing to say. It's just an observable fact of the of the world around us. It, it's 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 happening, and people are like, oh, is, is client, client that's not real." What, you know we get we get stuck on the words. Yes, we get trapped by the words instead of the happening, the the fact happening, the existence, and just seeing it, and being like, "I know what's happening here. I can see it." Yeah, and then I want to discover why. Well. We're, you know, killing the lungs of the planet in the Amazon. We've been doing that for a while. Um, We do that for commercial purposes so that we can continue to exist in a certain lifestyle. And it's an unsustainable lifestyle. And so I think one of the interesting, you know, adaptations that humans are currently working through is a, a a movement towards sustainability in in different ways and ecological sustainability and living balanced harmoniously with with nature is is a dire human need right now um you know because the consequences would would just be the end of it all you know end of us in you know, a nature would continue on we would melt away and something else would
0: come up i'm sure It's interesting to think about the, you know, the ailments of the human race are a direct reflection of what we're doing to the planet. Like when you talk about the lungs of the planet being the Amazon, how many people on the planet have problems with smoking? I wonder if there's a correlation between the amount of people that are dying from certain types of things and what we're doing to the planet. Like, you know, smoking, people dying from lung cancer may be equivalent to us killing the lungs of the planet. If you look at obesity as a problem, maybe that's over farming in some ways. Like, you know, like it just seems to me like those things are connected on it. Like if sure. we can just pan back and have like a giant collective psychedelic experience, I think we could see the fractal nature of it. like, oh, this is us. This is us this right is- here causing this problem.
1: <laughs> I think that that is one of the potential um, benefits of psychedelic and a therapeutic um, yeah. model is that it's the ability to step inside and outside yeah, to observe cool. from different angles so that you become more aware of something and you and you drop the conditioning or the false narrative that you're that you're gripped by you know the addiction to the narrative itself yeah. whatever that might be about your life or or the world or whatever and, um, you know, I'm not someone that says psychedelics are for everybody, but I do think that uh, they, they present a very powerful opportunity for folks to um, see themselves and their relation to others and the planet differently. And I think that what plagues humanity broadly right now is – a um decaying spirit mind Mm. i think that you know the spiritual um experience has become so contaminated and constrained and toxic in a lot of ways that it repels people it creates divisions and Con, you know, very conditioned and rigid minds mm-hmm. that are not flexible, that are not malleable, that cannot see beyond, like, programming. Uh, and I think that there is the um, ability to deprogram, yeah, not to reprogram. I think some folks think there's dangers that you're going to use it to program people. I think it's the opposite. I think it's going to deprogram a lot of folks um, who – in in whatever way, you know, degrees, right. Very, very subtle in some ways could just be, you know, an addiction to a, uh, uh, to a drug, you know, deprogramming the, 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 uh, conditioned addiction yeah, and things that are, that are woven around that, you know, that you can see it a little bit differently within yourself, let go of the, 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 you know, the, the grip, uh, and come through the other side, not not needing to go back to to drugs uh, or alcohol or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just one example that I think highlights this.
0: You know, it's interesting on a lot of levels, what where we're at right now and the shift and programming and deprogramming and fear and all, and all these things that we've lived with for so long. And I'm curious, right now in the United States and in Canada and in some parts in Europe, like we're seeing... A lots of people trying to establish a new way for these substances to come in and make changes. Do you yeah. think that like uh, maybe you could just speak to that a little bit? Like, is that multiple ways of trying to to find the right way, or is there not one right way, or is each one of these a potential pattern, or is each one of these particular ideas a potential model for other people to learn from and go from? Or what's your take on the on the the hot spots right now?
1: I think it's um, fluid, dynamic, um, unhealthy, healthy. I think it's a smorgasbord of things. I think there's a lot of experimentation with models. And I think it's beyond the regulated scene. I think the the regulated scene is trying to copy the unregulated scene Mm. and replicate it. Um, in a lot of ways there's where you get a lot of misappropriation and some cultural things about stuff (laughs) like that i think there is a lot of danger in inexperienced uh, people um, claiming to have more experience and um, not doing the homework Mm -hmm. and doing the work themselves to make sure that what they're doing is safe and directed at you know pro-social healthy communities you know um i think some people just want to sell drugs and they want to come up with um you know methods of of doing that that they think are quasi-legal and i can tell you they're not um in those instances yeah but i do think you know there's a lot of learning going on and i think there is an experimentation i also think that there's lineage that are thousands of years old of wisdom that's been handed down in the traditional and indigenous communities. And I would hope that their voice and their practices and their medicines are, you know, respected and revered and honored and looked towards uh, as, you know, potential collaborative sources of, of sharing wisdom rather than things to take from and make money off of, uh, you know, I think that there's potential for abuse there. I think there's a potential for uh, abuse, broadly speaking, in un- totally uncontrolled environments, a lot of sexual misconduct, mm. um, and things like that, that I think are harmful for uh, the broader, you know, movement. And I think people have to speak truth to that. And Um, hold folks accountable and, you know, holding the medicine as I've come to understand, it's a very sacred obligation, uh, a responsibility. And some people are not worthy to do that and they are doing it. And because they're not worthy and they're doing it, they're doing it in harmful ways, you know, and that's not a judgment thing. That's just a call what it is. And great organizations are thinking about this. You know, I think Shakurina is out there doing a lot of good work and covering down on um, some of these topics. Uh, Psychedelc Bar Association, I'm a member of. I know it's got a lot of really beautiful minds and committed people that care about these things. I'm very fortunate to be able to you know, uh, collaborate with some of them. And, and, and practitioners and just wonderful humans out there that are doing it the right way. To do it the right way we have to speak about the things that are not the right way and when they're harmful when they're harming people and and you know not leading to a a healthier community for us all well that's probably not the right approach
0: yeah it makes sense what Is there something specific that, like, I know you got a few projects going on right now. Maybe you could come walk us through some of them and what you're excited about. Some of the pitfalls might be, or what you got going on over there in your neck of the woods.
1: Well, can't talk about all the things that I'm doing for, <laughs> uh, for client sensitivities, but I what, right. what I can tell you is that I am working on things that are really informative and. In, I like to work on things where I know I have blinders so that I can become more aware of the blind spots and, you know, have that deeper personal work. And I'm getting to do that. Uh, I love examining, you know, the language and what do things mean Mm -hmm. and to help um, folks find their voice in certain communities so that we can give meaning, uh, you know, a more, updated meaning uh, restored meaning in some instances uh of some of these terms that are out there and, and hopefully that 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 helps the broader collective conversation um so I, i'm definitely spending a lot of time in the you know in the plant medicine space yeah um from a legal perspective and a historic perspective just you know doing what I can do to support those that I'm working with and uh, learning from that. And then in, you know, the the cannabis space and the, and the hemp beverage space, those are, those are commercial. And, and I like them too. And I find them, you know, rewarding and there's great business people. And I, I'm, I try to be helpful. And I think my clients have found my approach uh, to be um, um, really collaborative, really empathetic and oriented around them and their dreams. uh, And, I think they know that i'm i'm a solid foundation to to work from so i've I've enjoyed that space too but the more meaningful work to me is in this plant medicine and psychedelic space because i think that's where we're really talking about nerve points um for for so much more and and then that's honestly where i think you want to change the world start to understand how intelligence works how the mind works, how the spirit mind works, how these medicines work, and why we need to explore it further and develop structures and support mechanisms and on and on. And I think that's where that's where I'm finding a lot of uh, energy for myself.
0: You know, there's some interesting similarities and some differences when I look at the world of cannabis and psychedelics. One sort of similarity that I see that's not just partial to, to plant medicine, but other things is that when the instrument becomes the institution, it loses its ability to be functional. And it seems to me that that's kind of what happened with cannabis a while back when it, become, when it became institutionalized, it sort of mm. lost its ability as an instrument. And I'm curious if, A, do you see that pattern? And two, do you think that psychedelics may be going in that direction? It's like it, it, You spoke earlier, when there's people that just want to kind of extract out of it, like the same extraction mentality that we have for raw materials, hey, I want to extract the money out of this plant. I want to extract this out of there but maybe you could speak to the idea when the instrument becomes the institution, it begins to be corrupted. Mm. I don't know.
1: Uh, I mean, yes, on the, on some instances, um, it's tough because I'm, in the cannabis space in particular i think of the social underlying issues a okay. lot more than the medicine itself i think it certainly gets absorbed into culture stuff and um commercialization and you know but the plant is still the plant and it's still saving a lot of lives out there quite frankly and helping a lot of people in really important ways um and from a you know commodity perspective, becoming a real driver of you know economy and market, and that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, some could say that is the is the commercialization is the soul is it soulless? Well, it's the collective of all these different things, um, these people and their hopes and dreams and all that stuff and belief in the plant. But then it takes on the normal capitalist commercial thing and does it as an entity it might not look like something that was familiar and comfortable and and may have lost the uh the myth or the allure or whatever but from a medicine perspective it works pretty good and um you know i think i think that that shouldn't be lost you know from from the plant medicine side and psychedelics i think that there's a really interesting merging point of friction Hmm. between language and historical circumstance. I don't think that you can really work in the space of psychedelics and not think about colonialism and not think about Western oppression over indigenous experience since, the West came to where we are now in the Americas, uh, North America, Central America, South America. So I think that bring awareness to some of those historical things. I mean, these traditions and people often were killed for their medicines and, um, you know, treated with disdain, sting and, you know, a cultural genocide was afflicted you know and that is part of the psychedelic story on the other hand we have the present as it is and western modalities of uh, pharmacology uh, and western therapy psychotherapy so on and so forth and so there's this this interesting balancing thing happening where you you're the states are kind of coming online with these regulated therapeutic models that you know look kind of like western therapy but also really kind of take from ceremonial uh sacramental concepts and i think that you know potentially where it will be will come down to it will be in the natural plant medicines versus the synthetic uh pharmaceuticals mm. like ketamine and things like that, which have a tremendous amount of, you know, uh, therapeutic value. Um, And so do some of these other things, but there's more interesting historical connotation. MDMA is another one that's, that's probably going to be, you know, fully legal within the next, I don't know, year or two. It's close. Seems very close if you pay attention to what maps is doing. Um, And you know I think that there's a there's a place for that I think there's a there's an important place for ketamine treatment for MDMA and even psilocybin and some of these other ones but then I think it gets murky and I don't want to see a continuation of a Western dominant language oppressing expression and culture um and trying to act like psychedelics yeah 20th century that was us right it's like no you know we're talking about thirteen thousand years of history here of historic communal use um and reverence in in a way that we really don't comprehend um and it's hard hard for western minds to get get their minds around it so i think it's an interesting social point And um, I know there are others that see this as well. And then there's folks that don't see that and then, and they're fine too. And they're just working towards, you know, this is important and we want access to these types of uh, therapies and we should have, you know, human rights to these kinds of medicines and, and so on and so forth. And they're creating, trying to create, you know, what are the containers for this? What are the structures for this? You know, what, what, what would it look like? You know, if you were trying to get a DEA exemption for your your church to you have these things, knowing that the DEA is probably never going to grant it. But if you were trying to do that, you know, what would it look like? How would you create safety and, and how would you structure it and how would you do an integration before, during, after to make sure you're taking care of people and not just drugging people, right? Right. Uh, yeah. I think that there is a difference there, and yeah. uh, I think that that's part of the experimentation to find who's better at this. You know, because there are folks that are really deliberate and intentional, and they're doing all the right things, and they're taking care of people, and they're getting they they show up after. Yeah, they, they got paid a year ago. They're showing up. And they're saying, "Hey, how's everything going? Where are you in your life? Like the follow-up. Are you, how, you know, how are your relationships?" and and I think that that's that's a really positive and powerful thing and I hope to see more of those types of things personally
0: yeah I like that I one thing that I really admire about the indigenous culture and their use of some of this plant medicine is that you know the idea behind ceremonies and rites of passage as a path forward for people it seems like in the western world we have medicine for ailments. Yeah, like, isn't a rite of passage like, a sort of way for you to outgrow the small-mindedness that you once had? Like a a, a young man becomes a, a man. Like that's that is medicinal. Like okay, yeah. now I no longer need to do this. But sometimes that comes with the insights from the plant medicine. Like that that seems to me something that the West can learn from. Is like you need not it need not always be in this rigid medical container because a rite of passage is also a medicinal act. It is a way to take the limits off of this small-mindedness when you're ready or take the training wheels off on some way.
1: That's why the <laughs> word medicine
0: matters. <laughs> yes! Right? Exactly, yes.
1: That's why it matters what you say it is. And when we understand that these medicines have been used for community healing.
0: Yes, well said. Or
1: rites of passage for growing up. I learned about a tribe that – tribes that uh, went through the – I believe it's the Husqvarna, North American Indian tribes. And they – around the age of 15, there would be a ceremonial kidnapping of the boys. Mm. And the mothers would wail and the the children are dying. Right. Right. And the boys were taken to the woods – and as documented in historical um, observations of Westerners watching this in art, uh, and um, artifacts, part of whatever was going on in the woods, this transition transcending into an adult, this rite of passage, included um, um, the plant, plant medicine usage, um, psychedelic um, plants. And experience what's happening and and whatever. Then they would come back and they would be integrated back into community as an adult where they would take on an adult role, Mm marry, do whatever. Some of them would not come back to the community, but would go off into the spiritual world where they would be the ones that were communicating between worlds. So that they could be the continuation of this, the spirit of this, this, these people, and this happening in this life on Earth, and um, usher people through this process, and 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 ensure their, um, you know, their their continuation, you know. And this this is is not a limited situation. Things like this were happening all over North, Central, and South America. Right. Um, And maybe still are in in many instances. And yes, the medicine was an integral part of that community's life and experience. And when we said, kill the Indian, save the man, that is what we were killing. We were killing this life, this experience, this relationship to the place that they were, that was sacred, that is sacred. And then we fucking remove them from the place forced removals like like tearing you from your mother's arms kind of thing yeah right maybe even deeper because of the the relational thing of the 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 connectivity to the land and to the plants and the ecology all right and uh you know i think that we need to acknowledge that history um, when we do this kind of work and, um, there are, they're not dead. That's what yeah. things, you know, <laughs> tribes of all kinds, indigenous folks, you know, they're here and they're living and they're, they're wonderful to, to work with and, and learn from. And, uh, you know, um, I think that it's, it's for sure something I observe out there as, uh, a, a, a very important story that we can, we can continue to share uh, because the story is medicine also. You know, keeping, keeping alive uh, what actually happened and what is happening and what can happen and telling a story about a better uh, a better way of being. And so, you know, as a storyteller, that's, <laughs> that's what I do you know, in a lot
0: of ways yeah it's it's wonderful. It, it reminds me there's a great book called Black Elk Speaks. And in that book, he talks about, you know, there was a time when he's I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of the white man came to us and said that he wanted to buy the land. and we laughed at him. like he can't buy the land. The land belongs to everybody. We just thought it was a foreign concept. Yeah. they did they did do it. And it kind of makes me wonder, like in today's world, People want to buy the air right now. They want to buy the air you breathe. Hey, you have some carbon credits over here. Like, we laugh at it. Like, oh, you, can, you can't you can buy the air. Maybe you can. I mean, if you want to know what large parts of the government, if they're trustworthy, we should be asking indigenous people. Hey, are governments trustworthy? Like, what are they going to say? There's the right. lessons there. There's real lessons, I think, you know? Absolutely. You know,
1: history is important, right? Agreed. Yeah. And, and i think you know far too often we just have this eurocentric view of history totally. we don't know enough about other cultures and yeah. and stories we know some of the famous ones like we know Genghis khan but we don't really know in the details
0: Mm-mm. right we
1: don't know the 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 ancient history of china broadly yeah. speaking and, and where those people came from and why they view the world the way they do and what's underlying a lot of those you know um characteristics and things like that same everywhere else we just we just know our own history and the world started in 1776
0: right? <laughs> you know <laughs> we know the truth right that that's the, what really happened well liberty <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly but, it's know, so crazy I, I,
1: look i'm a, I'm a proud american. I was a marine corps veteran uh, you know and it has nothing to do with it. i think being being a real american means you know holding america accountable yeah well said saying we could do it better and
0: we, we should be honest with ourselves <laughs> yeah it's so true it's it's such an amazing time you know let, let me in navigating the intersection of religious freedoms and the commercialization of psychedelics what challenges have you encountered and how do you envision the evolving landscape in this unique legal space
1: i don't know you know there's a, there's some uh um you know there's some uh there's a lot there's a lot of smart people that work um you know work in this space and you know i don't know it's too early it's too early to say exactly what everything is it's all just uh, unfolding in like different directions i think the oregon yeah model is going to be fun to watch and you know you know hold on to your your hats right because they're when you when you miss big in psychedelics, you know shit can happen. So I think that we really need to kind of watch what's going on in the structures perspective and make mm-hmm. sure that the licensees that are doing this are doing it well and that they that the right ones are are doing it. It's not just like you know cannabis, like sell someone a bag of weed. It's you're taking someone's life in your hands and you're ushering them through a process that's really yeah. transformative. Yep. You gotta, you gotta be intentional. You gotta do it well, you know. Uh, and I hope that that we'll we'll see a lot of good stuff there. But I I'm prepared for things that are challenging, and then that's gonna reverberate in this you know uh, political speak to myself thing where we say, see, see how dangerous <laughs> this this thing happened, yeah. this thing happened, and then now it's all you know gone to hell. Yeah. Um, but i do think the conversations where where religion meets commercial where uh, indigenous voices might be uh you know not heard enough you know i think i think it's an evolving thing and i am pleased to be involved and yeah yeah trying to participate and hold space and share thoughts when asked so on so forth
0: yeah, there's a really there's a really great company that I've spoken to um, Moksha Journeys that has Prema and Rose and Sienna over there. And they I've had them on the podcast multiple times and they have shared with me they've had a first cohort come through their whole program and they they intermingle the idea of indigenous wisdom and western talk therapy and they they had some people that came through that were highly addicted and, and You know, it's it's not uncommon for people in the first week or two weeks of therapy to, you know, still score high on the addiction model. Like they could still score like on a scale from one to ten, like an eight in the first week. But some of the people going through using psilocybin and the talk therapy and the the things that were happening there, they came way down to like a two on the on the the craving sort Mm. of documentary. You know, not not documentary, but a survey and stuff. So. You know, I do have a whole lot of hope and promise for finding new ways to deal with addiction. And it seems like psychedelics really allow you to set the shame and the guilt of addiction aside and focus on the problem that may be causing addiction. You know, so a lot of the times it's something that we're afraid of or something that we did that we don't want to talk about.
1: Childhood trauma, man. Agreed.
0: You know, generational, yeah.
1: Generational trauma, historical
0: trauma. Yep.
1: Um, you know, and in the last 20 years, you know, we've had some really epic, jarring trauma moments. Yeah. You know, we had 9 11. That was a jarring trauma moment. Huge. We had COVID. That was a jarring trauma moment. We had, you know, smaller but not lesser impactful, like the George Floyds. And yeah the you know the black lives matter movement, yeah counter movements the yeah. strangeness of whatever's going on in the you know, certain political camps and yeah. the, the voices that are that are heard the most you know sometimes you're like wow that's uh, that's aggressive,
0: yeah, you know How did that voice get out there oh is that's yeah. so loud. <laughs> <laughs>
1: our voice you know that's one of the things i think that the people yeah. miss. it's like that's that's all of us right there like, scream as loud as i can and tell you how wrong <laughs> you are like right that's us constantly yeah uh demonizing the other side
0: mm. ourselves
1: demonizing ourselves we are them. They are us. We are one. But yes, we distinguish and categorize and create,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, containers of people. That's not me. <laughs> I'm not racist. I have a, <laughs> I have a black friend somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know a gay guy.
1: Exactly. He's talking about. You know, there's all these, things. <laughs> all, all, all of that stuff. this gets into you know social communication and privilege and yeah things like this, and people really get animated about that. And it's like, you know, perhaps if we just explored, you know, mm-hmm. you know the context without it being so animated uh, and just observed it, you know, more communally, you maybe we might have more awareness with which we can do something about that, you know? I don't know. I, I think there's yeah. we have a lot of issues of bias in this country. hmm in the world sure. your know, bias in general is a human conditioned thing maybe not even human maybe beyond human but you know the ability to be aware of the bias that's also a key to unlocking a lot of these things you know becoming aware of the, Im- the implicit nature of the bias that's driving us thereby making it no longer implicit now I have a choice to make if I'm aware of my bias and I confront my bias in a decision I can at least stop myself. And say, "Oh, am I? What's going on here? Am, am I making a you know a decision out of bias? I, I'm I'm acknowledging it. Maybe I make a dis, a different decision. I don't know.
0: Worth a shot, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do think that. I think it it almost goes back to the beginning of the conversation when we talked about the the wisdom that we can gain by watching nature like the same yeah. way that plant crawls up that vine and knows how to do it. I think that that is that thing inside of you. that says like, Hey, this is wrong. I shouldn't do this. Like that's the innate wisdom we have. And when you follow that, I think you become like that vine and you, you know how to sprout a flower at that same angle. When you follow that, that voice, like that's your divine wisdom. Like that's nature talking to you through you. It's a, and we're so conditioned not to listen to it. Like, well, I'm going to be one of these four things. Like, I went to this Pavlovian school where there's whistles and bells and I got a hall pass. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I never got the pass. I just went to the halls. Uh, uh, yeah. I think, I think you're right. You know, um, I, I think we have to see outside of our structures right now. Yeah. Yep. We have to be able to observe it, call it what it is, be honest about it. And then see what the choices are, just becoming aware of choice, man. That's it. you are choosing this every day to yeah. live like this as a, as a global humanity. Like we're making phenomenal choices that have unquestionable consequence and we're doing it all the time. So we should be aware that we're making a choice, and what the choice is, and maybe make different choices where it matters most.
0: Meaningful. Yeah, you know, on some level, there's this rite of pat, there's a rite of passage that a lot of people go through, both men and women, and it's nowhere near celebrated enough or talked about enough. And it's this, this, when you have a child and you're seeing your child grow. For me, my my experience was. Not too long ago, like I I was, I was a UPS driver for a long time, like 26 years, and I realized, and this was right around COVID. You know, I realized that what am I doing? Like I'm working like almost 80 hours a week. My wife's picking up the kids. She's working from home. She's doing all these. I never see my family. I'm making good money, but I never see my family. I'm always gone. And I heard that voice inside me, like, "What are you doing?" And then all these questions come up, like, "Well, you like the money, don't you?" You know, and then I started thinking like, I'm telling my daughter that I want her to live a meaningful life and that she should do the right thing. She should try to live a life that's meaningful. And it hit me. And this is the right of passage moment I'm talking about. I was like, listen, if I don't do that, she's never going to do that. You know, like, so, so I just want to invite people to look at their families. And if they want the best life for their children to start making those decisions inside yourself, maybe that means Changing your relationship, maybe that means leaving a job, maybe that means making small changes in your diet or going for a walk. But I want to invite people right now to look at their kids and ask the question: Am I being the best possible role model for them? Because I think that that's real power, and that's a little personal ritual that you can do, right? Yeah, and I think that you know, when when you do that type of exercise, don't don't hold
1: yourself in, you know
0: in yes. judgment,
1: you know, just right. Remove awareness. the judgment of, awareness of, and the shame of whatever. Yeah. And just say, I can choose to do something different right now. You know, I can choose to tune in and I can stop. as my son wants sometimes stop working, uh, stop looking at my phone and, and just be totally present there. And yeah. that's something that I can do. And um, that little moment, you know, Will have way more impact than potentially 10 dad speeches i might give him as he grows up Just a doubt. Him, being present and undivided attention and they they want that i remember my son asked me for that and if i'm holding myself in judgment now you know it, <laughs> it is something that i i should work on and uh and i do and and i will as soon as this this uh this is done
0: <laughs> yeah It's interesting. Like, I'm a fan of Aldous Huxley. And if you look at his books, like, you can kind of see his trajectory. Where, in my opinion, I have no basis for this except my own opinion of it. But, you know, you see him move from like the doors of perception to Brave New World to the island. And in Brave New World, he sees psychedelics as sort of an escapism, as sort of the soma is a way in which you can disassociate from society so that you can continue on in society. But then when you look at the island, He tells stories of children that are like 11 or 12, and they have a mentor, and they climb this mountain and sit at a church and understand what's possible. Do you think that it's possible that we could go in one of those two directions with psychedelics? Can can it become a disassociative that pushes society in the wrong way versus being something that moves society in the right way?
1: I think all things are possible. (laughs) Well said. I think that um, that's why it's important to be intentional. Yeah you know, to be and to be aware, be honest with what's happening. You know, Uh, I don't think it's, you know, disassociation, while it can be a wonderful, um, you know, therapeutic process Mm -hmm. can also be a harmful consequence. If you disassociate from your emotions, you know, if you don't feel that's, that's not living. Yeah. And I, I do think that there's a potential for that and, you know, we need to explore it, we need to understand it more and, and you know, and especially in our Western models uh, where it's not really integrated into the fabric of, of like who yeah. we really are and we, who we've been for forever and ever and ever, it's even more important to follow our Western ways of discernment, right? Yeah, so we should study it, collect the data, understand, talk about you know pre um, pre existing conditions that might not make this suitable, so on and so forth, um, and uh, you know do no harm. Try not
0: to. Yeah, the Hippocratic Oath, right? I Eric, our hour flew by like that, man. Boom! That's what happens when you have good conversations, man. It's fun, it's engaging, and and much like a psychedelic experience. Time is but an illusion in these conversations. It just flies right by. But before I let you go, man, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about?
1: So uh, I'm very excited about my law firm, uh, Holon Law Law Partners. We're a a cloud-based law firm. We're remote, uh, which really means we're everywhere. Uh, And our lawyers are building a community in this this space uh, that's intentional. Um, we, we want to be at those, those points of impact in the world. Um, we're not all doing psychedelic law. We're doing a variety of different things, but we are very intentional and we're trying to create community within us and outside of us and, you know, check us out if you need support, but just get to know us. Even if you don't, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. That's where I primarily do professional, uh, stuff so you can find me there or you know, whatever I'm around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would encourage everybody to go and check out the whole on. Um, it seems to me that your ability to be meaningful and intention is going to create a better area for people to dialogue in and cr- construct great arguments and construct great community. So I'm, I'm really thankful that you and your team are out there doing these things. So, Go down to the show notes, lady, ladies and gentlemen, and check it all out. That's all we got for today. Oh, What was the name of that book? by um? Poc- by, I will Poc-
1: get it to you after. Okay. I'm okay. okay. blanking on the
0: name, but I'll get it for you. Okay, and then we'll put it in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everyone has a beautiful day. Go check out Eric. Check out on Law Firm, and that's all we got for today. Hold on briefly afterwards, Eric. I'll talk to you shortly. But ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Uh- aloha, everyone.